Good morning. Happy Father's Day and good morning to you all. This last weekend, um, I cut down a couple of dead tree limbs in, from some of the trees in my backyard. A couple of old trees, and one in particular has a big old dead limb hanging off of it. So, got out my chainsaw, set up a ladder up against the tree, climbed up there, started the chainsaw, and started to cut this big dead limb off of the tree. And at one point, my, my, my uh, chainsaw stalled out, kind of got stuck in there and stalled out. So, had to like, you know, dig it out and then climb down the tree, climb down the ladder, and then try to get it started. And I, I couldn't get it to start again, which is odd because usually when the chainsaw is running, it's easy to start again. Like once it's warmed up, it usually goes easy. So I did, I checked what I knew how to check. I made sure there was fuel in it. I checked the oil, you know, just make sure that the chain's running, everything like that. And I pulled and I pulled and I pulled until my arm hurt and it still couldn't get it started. So in a moment of desperation, I called my dad and I said, how do I start a chainsaw? And he says, well, it sounds like you flooded the engine. Just hold the trigger while you pull the cord. He has a way of always making things sound way easier than they are to me. But all right. So I held the trigger. I pulled the cord. Started on the first pull. Just like that. So I learned something. Um, well, how to start a flooded chainsaw engine. But I also learned that you never outgrow your need for a father. And... <laughs> I think that every single one of us, that's what I want to talk to you guys this morning about, is fathers and our need for fathers. And I have some stuff that I want to say I think will be helpful to you if you are a father. But more than that, this message is for anyone who needs the love of a father. And I'd like to argue that that is every single person in this room needs the love of a father. A father is somebody who is in your life that is strong that is steady, someone that is trustworthy. A father is somebody that you feel comfortable enough or close enough to that you can go to with your problems, but yet somebody who's big enough to fix those problems or at least to help you with them. Somebody who provides for you, who walks with you through, through life. That's what a father should be. Now, I can imagine when I share that description of what a father is, there's probably people in this room who think, that doesn't really relate to what I've experienced. Maybe your father wasn't that strong figure. Or maybe your father wasn't somebody you were comfortable with. Or maybe you've lost your father at this point. Maybe you're not connected with him anymore. But what I want to say is this, that regardless of what your experience has been in, in your life, and regardless of what your current relationship is like with your own father, every single one of us has a need in our heart for the love of a father. And that's really, really important. The good news is, whatever human relationships you might have had, you always have a heavenly father. You've probably guessed by now where I'm going with this, is that as believers, we have the amazing privilege that we have a father in heaven who loves us perfectly, who is big enough to handle anything that happens in our life, who is strong enough to walk with us through anything, who loves us endlessly and perfectly and constantly. And that is a relationship that we get because of Jesus Christ. And in fact, uh, any love that you have experienced, whether it's from your own father or your own mother or other people in your life, that love that you felt and the care you felt from other people, that love is ultimately from God. 
That's one of the ways he expresses his care for you is through people that he has put in your life. <clears throat> so this morning, I just want to take a couple of minutes and just talk for us a minute. I want to paint a picture of what the love of the Father is like. So this week, uh, I spent some time looking through the scriptures, searching to find any passages, any explanations, any descriptions of the Father's love. And I found a lot of them. I found pages and pages of these verses that were great. They talked about the way the Father cares about his children and how he provides for them and how he's always with them and really good stuff. But there's one story in particular that I want to hone in on. There's one story that I think sums up better than most the character of our Father. And that story is in Luke chapter 15. And it's probably a story you know pretty well. You're probably familiar with this story. It's referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. This is in Luke 15. We'll start reading it at verse 11. So what I want to do is I want to read a little bit of that and then talk about what we see God's heart in this story. So as you're turning to Luke 15, uh, I'll, I'll give you just a real quick background of what's happening here in this story. Jesus is uh, he's spending some time with some people. He's been hanging out with some people, getting to know some people, showing love and kindness to people. And the religious leaders of his day got upset. And they said, hey, Jesus, you are spending way too much time with sinners and losers and lowlifes. Why are you wasting your time with all these people that aren't even worth your time? And so Jesus responds to their accusations with this story that shows how much God loves those kinds of people. So here's the story, Luke 15, starting verse 11. This is a story that Jesus tells. Okay, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger son said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. And not many days after he received that, the son gathered it all, took everything he had, and he went on a journey to a far country. And there, in that, in that far country... He squandered his property in reckless living. And then, as would happen, after he spent everything, a severe famine arose. And he was in terrible need. So what did he do? He went and got a job. It says he hired himself out to somebody from that country. And he went into the field to feed the pigs. And he was so hungry that he was even longing to eat the, feed, the food that was given to the pigs, but nobody gave him anything. So sitting there, starving with a bunch of pigs, he comes to himself and he realizes, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but here I am, I'm starving with hunger. I know what I'll do. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I am not worthy to be your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. <clears throat> then when he arose, and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming, and he ran to him, and he, he had compassion on him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son started to say, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm not worthy to be your son. But the father said, no, bring the best robe and put a robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. And kill the fatted calf. 
Let us eat and celebrate, for this is my son who is dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to celebrate. So this story, as I said, is often referred to as the, uh, the story of the prodigal son. But with all due respect, I think that's a bad name. No offense to the person who picked that. Pr- the word prodigal means wasteful. And so the, the, the idea is that the, this is a story about a son who was wasteful. And no doubt the son was wasteful. He took half of the father's money and he spent it on nothing. But the reason I think that's a bad name is because the point of this story is not the son's action. The point of this story, the focus here, is the father's response. And that's what I want to draw your attention to. The lesson that I think we learn from this story is that your behavior, your place in the family is not based on your behavior. Your place in the family is based on the Father's love. I'll say it again. Your place in the family, your place in God's family is not based on your behavior, good or bad. It's based solely upon the Father's love and the Father's response to you. So I'll look at this story again. I want to zoom in on one particular moment where we can see the characteristics of God's heart on display. And I'll talk a little bit about that. So the, the moment I want to look at is when the, when the son returns. So as, we, as I read there, you know, he, he asks his father for the money, which according to one commentary is about a third of what the father owned. The father gave him a third of his wealth. The son took it, and it says he squandered it on wasteful living. It doesn't tell us what wasteful living is, but you can use your imagination and imagine what he would have wasted it on so that in a short amount of time, he had no money and nothing to show for it, so much that he was you know, living with pigs and wanting to eat pig food. And then it says he came to himself. He's like, this is stupid. <laughs> Why am I sitting here with these pigs? I should go back to my father. And so he makes a decision to go back to his father. And this is important. I want you to catch this. His decision to go back to his father is not to ask to be a son again. He decides to go back just hoping to find a job. That's all he's looking for. He's not, he's not asking the father to forgive him and accept him. He's just saying, hey, I bet my dad has a better job than this job here. That's like the lowest expectation he has. So let's look at those, let these verses. I want to look specifically in chapter 15, but start looking at verse 20. And we're going to see how the father responded to the son's return. The first thing we see is that the father welcomes him. It says in verse 20 that he arose and he started to make his way back to the father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and he had compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. So that tells us that the father must have been watching. He must have been waiting. I mean, how did he know the son was coming home on that day? How did he know to run out and meet him that day? The only way the father would have seen him coming is if he was watching. So that dad, he missed his son even though demanding his inheritance and then leaving probably hurt the father, he was still waiting for him to come home. And, he, and he, can you imagine him running out there and just wrapping his arms around him and kissing him and hugging him and, and like welcoming him home? I thought about this, and you don't have to raise your hands because it might be kind of embarrassing, but have you ever misplaced a child? Anyone ever done that? You weren't supposed to raise your hands. But, you know, maybe you're at a store and they go down one aisle and you didn't know or, or I don't know. We have one of our children. I won't tell you which one, but um, she likes to 
She loves to play hide-and-seek, and she's actually really, really good at it. So you'll be like, where did she go? Where did she go? And she'll be like in some crevice under a bed or something. It takes forever to find her. And there's always that moment where you're like, you have this panic. You're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, where did they go? Where did my kid go? Are they, are they out in the street? Are they with some stranger? Oh, no. And if you're honest, maybe some of that panic is also mixed with a little bit of anger. Like, I told them not to leave. They should know better. Why didn't they tell me? Or why didn't they stay where I told them to go? But when you see your child again, the emotion you feel is like, oh my God, I'm so glad you're okay. I'm so glad that you're safe and you're in so much trouble. But no, but <laughs> the, the first emotion is this like just gratitude and relief that you found them again. And I think that's kind of the picture of what we're seeing in this story is the father, maybe he felt some of that anger. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say. But his, his first reaction is just to, to welcome his son and to love his son. And I think it paints a picture for us of God's heart. I think that is God's heart for every one of us. That's his heart, is that he was welcoming us home. No matter where you've been or, or why you might have left, he's welcoming us home. He's excited uh, that we're coming home. Oh, I, uh, I had a fun opportunity. I took one of my sons, Max, uh, fishing a couple weekends ago. And uh, so we got in a rowboat in this little fish pond, and we're fishing. And it was just, you know, we caught a couple of good-sized fish. And, uh, and so this is the thing. When you, when you fish with, you know, a young, a young fisherman, they have this tendency. They want to cast out there and then reel it right back in. And then, did I get anything? And cast out and reel it. Did I get anything? And you, you got to tell them, like, you got to wait. You just got to wait. Uh, and, and you tell them, you know, you got to watch the bobber. Because, you know, the bobber is, is floating at the top of the water, and you watch it. And as soon as the bobber makes a movement, then you got a fish. Then you reel it in. They want to just reel it in right away and catch something. And so then what I, I'm trying to teach him, like, we're, we're going to wait, and we're just going to watch the bobber. And so we sit there, and, like, both of us, like, just stare at it to see if there's any movement. You know, and there's a ripple in the water. We're like, ah, I think we got something. The point is, I think God is kind of like that. I think he's anxiously looking for any movement. God is always on the lookout for a change of heart. He's on the lookout for any movement in his direction. I don't know about you, but I'll admit that there have been times when I feel like my heart wants to be closer to God, but I feel like I need to do something. I need to prove it first. I need to read a lot of the Bible, or I need to be really loving to somebody, or give a lot of money, and then this relationship with him will be closer. But I, from this story, I realize that God is looking for any movement, any motion, anything in your heart that's turned towards him, and he's reeling you in. He's running towards you to bring you on. Which brings us to the next thing that I notice, is that the father welcomes, and then the father restores. We can see here in the story, in the next couple of verses, so the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm not worthy to be your son. But the father says to his servants, quickly bring a robe, uh, put, it on, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet. So what we see here is the son confesses, I'm not, I don't deserve to be your son. And honestly, the son might be right about that. He might, that confession might be true, that he doesn't really deserve it. But the father, and I love those three words that are in that verse 22, but the father. Because what the father did is what is really important. The son's confession is not really as important as what the father did. Because the father is the one who has the authority, has the place to change things. 
And the father restores him. Um, it's, almost like he, it's almost like he just ignores what the son says. Like you can almost hear him just saying, like, eh, never mind that. Don't worry about that. Like, that's nonsense. Him, him saying, I don't deserve to be your son. Ah, never mind. Don't worry about that. And he says, bring the robe, bring a ring, and bring, a san- and bring sandals for his feet. He tells this to the servants. And I won't go into all of the background of that, but I will tell you that robe, ring, and sandals are significant signs of him being a son. Because servants don't wear robes, they don't wear rings, and they don't wear sandals. So when the son says, I don't deserve to be, uh, I don't deserve to be in the family, I don't believe to be your, deserve to be your son, and the father says, nonsense, put a robe on him. He's saying, no, you are my son. And I'm not just saying it, but I'm proving it. Because you have authority, you have a position in this family, you, you have a responsibility. You are somebody in this family now because I've put these things on you. And that's exactly what, what the Father does for us, what God does for you and I. It's an important lesson for us. So like, have you ever, have you ever sinned or you know, done something you shouldn't have done and then you feel kind of awkward around God? It, and I'll be honest, I've done this before where you ask for your forgiveness. You're like, God, I'm so sorry. I'll never ever do that again. And I know God forgives me. I know God loves me. But I still feel like maybe I should give God a little distance for like a week or so. Do you ever feel like that? Like, I really hurt his feelings, so I'm just going to give him a little bit of space. I know he forgave me, but I shouldn't push my luck and ask for anything right now. I shouldn't bother him right now and just give him some time to get over it. And of course, even as I say that out loud, it sounds ridiculous because we know that's not how God works. But for some reason, that's the way that at least I default to relating to him. Where do we get that from? Because it's not in the Bible. Like, where do we get that idea that God gets angry and it takes him a while to get over his anger? It's kind of absurd. And it's not in this story either. Because um, we can see that the Father's priority is on restoring relationships. In your life, the Father's priority for you is restoring relationships. There are probably some, some things to take care of in terms of behavior and, you know, talking about, you know, why the son spent all the money or talking about why you did what you did. But the father's priority is restoring that relationship with you. And that's really good news. The father isn't looking for more servants. The father is looking for a son and for a daughter. He's not looking for you to be a servant. He's not looking for obedience. He's looking for a loving relationship with a son or a daughter. That's what he wants with each one of us. One of my favorite verses, something I've been really dwelling on recently, I just love this verse, is in 1 John 3. It says, See the kind of love that God has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, because that is what we are. See the kind of love he has. He made us his children. See the love that we are now his children. That just, it blows me away when I think about that verse. Which leads me to the third thing that happens in this story. Maybe one of my favorite parts is after that, the father says to the servants, and bring a fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and we'll celebrate for my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. This tells us that the father loves to celebrate. The father loves to celebrate. And not just celebrate, he loves to celebrate you. And you, and you. He celebrates who you are. You know, I think that we, 
<laughs> for some reason, we have like an overly serious picture of God. Like he's really concerned about sin and you know, righteousness, which he is, but he also, he loves to celebrate. The son comes up to him talking about all these ways he's going to repay the dead and make things right and just what he's going to, you know, what he deserves and doesn't deserve. And the father's just like, nonsense, fire up the grill, go hire a band, turn on some lights, let's have a party. Like, we're not going to talk about all that nonsense. Let's celebrate. Because that's in the father's heart is to celebrate. And it's like he's just too excited that his son is home. He's too excited about the relationship to worry about who owes who what or anything like that. He's not, as, he's, uh, he's not as concerned with your failures as he is excited about your future. This reminds me of a, a, um, when my son Stuart was younger and he first took swimming lessons at the YMCA. And he, he's a good swimmer now. He would, he would want me to tell you that. He's a good swimmer now. But back then, he was a little scared of swimming. Uh, and so they went to the deep end, and the lifeguard threw them all in. They were, like, splashing around. And most of the kids were, you know, kind of doggy paddling or floating around or whatever. But Stuart was not having it. He was like, just get me out of here. He was, like, screaming and just, like, done with it. And so this was hard for me um, because as a young father, you know, it's like you want your son to, you know, to, to succeed and to do well. And I'm looking at all these other kids who are swimming or starting to swim fine, and he's like scared of the water. And I'm like, come on, like everyone is like can see that you're not swimming like everybody else. Let's go. And so I was a little embarrassed maybe. And also felt bad for him too because he clearly hates us and we're making him like be in the water. He doesn't like that. But he's like just clinging white-knuckled onto the side of the pool for like, I don't know, a few, a few minutes. And finally he's like, okay, this is, this is kind of pointless. <clears throat> and of course the lifeguard is, you know, ah, he's fine, let him be. Just throw him out in the middle, he'll swim. But it's like, I was like, okay, this is, this is fine. So I come over and I pull him out of the pool, feeling a little bit of this like apprehension. I pull him out and I kneel down and I put, a, I put a towel around him. And immediately it comes to me, you know what? I don't care. I don't care if he doesn't swim today. I don't care if he doesn't swim as fast as these kids. I don't care if he never learns how to swim because this is my son and he is amazing and he's so creative and he's so smart. He's annoyingly smart sometimes. There's so much awesome things about this kid. If he doesn't swim, who cares? There's so much other stuff I just love about this kid. I don't care about that at all. And like in that moment, as I was kneeling down and I had a towel around my son, God, like, it was almost like he was right behind me and he whispered in my ear and he said, that's exactly how I feel about you. I love you so much. I don't care if you don't do another good thing from this point on. I love you so much. And even if you don't do everything right, even if you mess up this or that or you, you don't grow maturity as much as you should or whatever, I don't care. You're my son and there's so much I love about you. That's how he feels about me. And that's how he feels about you guys too. Every one of you, that's how he feels. You're the most wonderful thing that he created and he is in love with you and he wants to celebrate who you are. Don't ever think that your failures dampen God's enthusiasm. Don't ever let anyone tell you that your failures or your weakness dampen God's enthusiasm for who you are and loves who you are. 
I'm not saying he doesn't know your past, doesn't know your weaknesses. I'm sure he knows them. He's just not, a, he's not as, as interested in that as he's excited about you. So the father welcomes. The father restores to the family. And the father celebrates who we are. When I first became a father, <clears throat> I, was really, I was really worried about it. Um, like, how, how am I going to raise good kids? How am I going to have good kids who are smart, who are nice, or, you know, good, productive citizens, godly men and women? It's a tall order. And the older I get, the scarier it gets. Like, I don't know if I'm doing this right or, or how to do this, you know? And then actually, uh, as I started to reflect on it, it got a little more troublesome because I've realized this, and maybe you guys have, have noticed this too, is that a lot of people have issues. You probably noticed that. But a lot of people have issues that are related to their relationships with their fathers. A lot of times, the way they interacted with their dads when they were younger can affect the way that they relate to the world now. And it's kind of a scary thought, because I'm like, oh, bad, I hope I'm not, like, scarring them. And, and you know, as I thought about it more, I realized I know lots of uh, people who, good people who came from good Christian families, who had parents who loved them, and just honest to goodness, did their very best to love their kids. And they still have issues. And it's like, if the people I really look up to and I really respect, who really love their kids, still raise kids who are affected by this, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? How are we going to do this? I had this thought, you know what? I'm not a perfect father. And I'm not going to be a perfect father. And I very well might hurt my kids. But you know what I can do is I can introduce them to the Father who heals them. That's the most important thing I can do. I'll do my best to love my kids and raise them right. But the best thing I can do is introduce them to the Father who really loves them and can always be there for them. One thing that Jesus, I think about this, one thing Jesus said to his disciples is, if you have seen me, you have seen my Father. And every time I read that, I think, God, I hope that's true about me. I hope when my kids see me, they can see my father. I hope when you guys see me, you can see my father. I hope when I meet other people and I love other people and I help other people, that they can see my father. I hope that his love, his acceptance, his celebration of me affects what other people see. So if you are a father and you're struggling with some of the things I've talked about, how do we raise our kids? How do we handle, um, you know, discipline and teaching them and training them? How do we handle this? I want to give you um, what I, well, some advice. I give you what I, what I notice here is that your most important responsibility is to receive your father's love. In any situation, your most important responsibility is for you to receive your father's love. That's the best way for you to father those and to love those that you're leading is to do it out of a place of acceptance. And I try to keep this in mind when I'm trying to deal with one of my kids or, or trying to make a decision or something. It's like, okay, am I receiving God's love for me right now? Because that's the best way for me to love my own children. And, you, and it might be you're going through something different, difficult with your kids. It might be you're going through something difficult with your own parents. In any situation, I would say, your most important responsibility is to find God's love. 
So I just want to close with a really quick opportunity um, for you, whether you're a father or not, whoever you are, to respond to that. And I think, I think it's okay. I think it's okay if you need to say, you need to pray, Lord, help me feel your love. Help me to know that you love me. Sometimes we know that the Father loves us, but we don't feel it. And it's okay to pray that. Lord, help me to feel it here, that it, would, it will change the way that I, that I act. So I'm going to pray to close this, this part of the service. If you want to bow your heads, you can do that. Um, I just encourage you, give you an opportunity, if you want to respond by saying, just pray that prayer that I suggested. Lord, help me feel your love. Maybe you haven't you felt like the Father, maybe you haven't realized the way the Father celebrates you. Maybe you haven't realized the way that he's welcomed you or restored you. I'm just pray that right now. Lord, help me feel your love. We thank you, Father, for your incredible goodness to us, for your, your character, your loving uh, character to us. And I pray that this morning you would help us to feel that, help us to be aware of that, help us to see the places where you have been caring about us and loving us. I pray that that would be the dynamic that shapes who we are. And for anyone in this place who is struggling, uh, I pray that you would meet them in that place of their need. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. Before I release you, I want to do one more thing as it's Father's Day. I just want to take a minute to pray, to bless, to honor anyone who is a father. I know from personal experience that it can be a difficult thing. So really quickly, if you are near um, a father, I was going to have them all stand up, but I figure it's Father's Day, so you guys can relax. Um, but if you're near uh, a father, if you're near, um, whether it's your husband or your father or your somebody you know, just put a hand on them. And uh, I'm going to pray just to bless, bless those, all right? <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for the men, uh, the fathers that you have given to us in this place. And I pray right now that you would bless them with your blessing. I pray your grace upon them in difficult situations. I pray your favor upon them when they, when they need help, Lord. And I pray for wisdom, 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 wisdom to know how to lead their families. Um, we're so grateful for them and for the way that you use them in our lives, Lord. And we just bless them and honor them this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, I, uh, I trust that you guys will have a blessed and fun Father's Day. So. <clears throat>